0: Well, good morning and welcome everyone to live Damba Sunday for September 17th, 2017. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Nice autumn morning. Nice and cool when you go outside. It's interesting how when some uh, friend uh, makes a certain comments in certain situations and it stays in your memory. And I remember friend Dharma friend in Chicago one time when you know uh, talking about
1: uh, going out
0: in the cool uh, morning early morning and he says oh I really f- this makes you feel you know grateful to be alive you know says you feel alive and you see, you remind somehow reminded of that and so <laughs> I always associate that thing with this friend and whenever I go out in the morning. It's nice and cool. It's kind of bracing, I guess, is the word. And then I think of him and I say, Oh, yeah. He said, Yeah, it's great to be alive. This reminds you of that. Okay. And different things. It's, it shows you the interconnectedness we have with other people, you know, in our brain, in our memory. Um, there are a lot of other examples in my morning routine that sticks in my certain incidents or things people said stick in my mind. Um, I don't know if a lot of people do this, you know, but. Uh, so in my morning routine, <laughs> I have a lot of friends and family and people that are waking up with me <laughs> in a sense, you know, When I brush my teeth. I remember what one of my dentist said about things, and I, when I brush my teeth, I think of that when I go to a certain spot in my mouth, you know, things like this, uh, and uh, it just, uh, well, <sighs> let me mention that yesterday we came back from San Jose, which is about a three-hour drive north from us. We went to a family gathering, and it was a cel- kind of a celebration of a major uh, life event okay um there's a wedding uh that took place in Hawaii and then um the couple lives in San Jose a family member and uh and <clears throat> since they got married in Hawaii uh you know a very small just a immediate family wedding on the beach then coming back they were, we hosted uh, a luncheon celebration for their friends and for family members in the Bay Area. In the, and the, so there were about fifty people, and we went to a Japanese sushi and seafood buffet. All you could eat, <laughs> and. Now Adrian has two older sisters, and they have husbands that it, all three of us all three of the sisters have been married celebrated the golden wedding anniversaries with their husbands and um you know so we're the we're the the oldsters at such family gatherings you know um before there was another generation, our parents when they were still alive, um, you know, they were the, the older generation at any family gathering. But now we're the oldest generation at a family gathering. And I was thinking about this. When when you're at a family gathering and you're the oldest, you have a little more perspective about intergenerational passage of time. And you see the um, uh, younger kids. You know about younger kids, what we would mean cause our the next generation from us uh our children, Adrian's sisters, children, they're all in their fifties, you you know forties you know, or fifties, and they have their children, so uh, that our grandchildren and well one, two, three, three generations younger. Um, then they're then they're young kids, and they're running around. Okay. Um, somehow seeing that intergenerational togetherness at a family major life event, family gathering. When you're the older generation, you can't help but pause and say, think about con- the march of. Generations, family generations. Now this kind of thing, and uh, of course, when you have a major family event, there's always food, <laughs> and so you know either you go out or you, somehow there's always good food, huh? So you're gathering over food, and this must be. I was thinking uh, from time immemorial. Okay, humans have done this. Huh? Family and friends get together over major life events. Whether it's a a wedding celebration, a a baby being born, uh funerals, a okay, uh, some other kind of celebration of you know, maybe in the old like in prehistoric times it was when you had a good hunt, you know, met your survival of your tribe or whatever, okay? New job or promotion or graduation or, you know, all kinds of things. And life is going on um, to appreciate the fact that, you know, we have been given life and... We have this fellowship and we have food, where the food come from. Uh, the fact that what you're doing is made possible by all the f- factors, causes and conditions. Um, it behooves us to, to uh, somehow pass this, or even if you don't, consciously try to pass this on the awareness of this intergenerational togetherness, you can't help the young the other younger generations experienced it, live it, and then when they become the the older generation, huh? And of course we're grateful that whoever's still with us because you can't help but in that pause, know that the prior generation that are no longer with us, but they're there at that event through us. That kind of thing. You start getting a little more the textures and layers of these of of, of what's going on about life. Okay. Well, that was just some of my thoughts for this uh, recent event. Uh, I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse. Christine. She lives in. She's the oldest grandchild of Reverend Gilme and Minnie Kubose, so she's my niece, and she lives in Southern California. She's a physical therapist, and um, I know she's going to talk about food. Uh, so let's hear what Christine has to say.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about Buddhism and food. So I did a little Google search. Thank goodness for Google, right? And I found a nice, succinct, like a definition of Buddhism that made sense to me. And it said, the two main goals of Buddhism are getting to know ourselves and learning the Buddha's teachings. To know who we are, we need to understand that we have two natures, One is called our ordinary nature, which is made up of unpleasant feelings, such as fear, anger, and jealousy. And the other is our true nature, the part of us that is pure, wise, and perfect. So in Buddhism, it is called the Buddha nature. The only difference between us and the Buddha is that we have not awakened to our true nature. Siddhartha once said, Quote, there have been many Buddhas before me and will be many Buddhas in the future. Unquote. I think that awakening our, our Buddha nature is kind of a, a perpetual road for the most of us. I mean, who knows? There might be a few that truly reach enlightenment. Now, many of us, we take our own experiences and, you know, we choose to grow or find our Buddha nature. We might read books, go to therapy, go to seminars, etc. And some of us find it difficult to address our fear or angers based on childhood imprints. Or we may ignore and bury our heads in the sand to avoid the reality or some of us even experience horrible traumas and find it controlling our lives with little know-how on how to fix it. I mean, it's hard to change, believe you me, but I do enjoy reading self-help books where I can have a few aha moments. So I just finished reading this book, It's called Eating on the Wild Side. Actually, it was the second time, and I had several, wow, really moments all over again. Now, this is not a self-help book, but I likened it to be one. See, the book explains the origins of various vegetables and fruits and how they've been hybridized and modified over time, therefore stripped of antioxidants and nutritional value in order to be edible and likable for our taste. It also explains, then, how to choose the variety that maximizes the phytonutrients and how to store them, how to cook them, or even not cook them, for the best benefit. So, for example, did you know that cooked blueberries have greater antioxidant levels than fresh ones? Asparagus is one of the most nutritious veggies in the store, but it expires very quickly, so you have to make sure you pick the ones that have really straight spears because if they bend, you know that they've been stored in warehouses for a while because they bend looking for light in the darkness. And broccoli, oddly enough, it expires immediately after you pick it. So after about 8 to 10 days, it's lost 75% of its phytonutrients. And if you cook potatoes, then refrigerate them for 24 hours, they actually turn into a low to moderate glycemic vegetable. And I found interesting that certain fruits like oranges and grapes, they do not ripen after you pick them. So if you want a ripe orange, the orange has to be orange. (laughs) Um, But other uh, fruits like peaches or plums, they continue to ripen. So you can pick them sort of not quite ripe, and then they will continue to ripen themselves. One of the most interesting ones for me was I learned that if you heat garlic immediately after you crush it or slice it, the health benefit is basically gone. See, there's a protein and an enzyme that come together after you crush or slice it, and they need to commingle about 10 minutes, and then it creates the maximum amount of allicin, as it's called, and now you have the great health benefits of garlic. So the other day, I was roasting garlic, And I was thinking about what I read in the book, and the thought came to me, this is like trying to find food in nature, ways to bring out the pure and perfect. So the more I learned how to choose and work with the true nature of the fruits and veggies, the more I felt able to help myself. So I know how to choose healthier varieties, how to store them, how to cook them. So it's actually kind of fun now. And so as with food, we look to see, okay, what's out there in the stores, In other words, what's the ordinary nature? And then we strive for the optimal perfection of these fruits and vegetables, their true nature, by following certain aspects as mentioned in this book. And so I was thinking with us, we can look at ourselves, acknowledge who we are, which is our ordinary nature, and then go about finding our true nature the best way we can. So I guess my message uh, today is, you know, following certain aspects of Buddhism to try to find our Buddha nature, we can grow and learn, and you know, be happier, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, go out there and find your Buddha nature. All right, everybody, have a great day. Bye.
0: Thank you very much. I think it's so fascinating when the Dharma is seen. Uh, <clears throat> in everyday activities. And it means, does that mean the Dharma is, well, <laughs> the word Dharma, you know, one of the three treasures in Buddhism, the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, uh, on one hand means Buddhist teachings, the Dharma. But Dharma has many meanings. And I do know that Dharma means all things, all phenomenal things. Things, so, This is sort of what it means is that whenever you look around, you can see the Dharma everywhere. It's in a fountain pen, it's in a lamp, it's in a piece of paper, in furniture, all things are Dharma. That's one meaning of it. Um, Our Dharma, not necessarily the Dharma is in it, but we have to see it. Uh, with a certain eye with a aspect with a certain perspective, okay now I'm not sure, but when in the in India isn't there a like a third eye on some statues you know right in the forehead now, i don't know if this is i don't think this is buddhist um, uh, lore but Some statues did actually have a jewel, very precious jewel, embedded in the. Well, you call it an idol. An idol is probably a, not a very, uh, PC word, but. Uh, I think that meant, the third eye, of wisdom. You know, meaning that you can see. Okay, using the word see meaning meaning beyond just a. Uh, uh, sight, sense, the sense of sight itself, physical, but having some kind of wisdom so that you could see the true and real nature of things that are all around us, whether you're looking at food you're eating, whether you're looking at, you know, wow, well, like I said, whatever. <laughs> uh, um, It's sort of like, well, maybe, maybe it's sort of like that garlic example that Christine was talking about. When you're in a situation, certain things, when garlic is crushed, certain c- compounds, chemical compounds, have to have a little time to work together to produce allicin or whatever that beneficial <laughs> aspect is of the garlic so when you are in a situation when you have a certain thought or you see something and then you work with it in the sense that oh here's some food i'm eating and and then you think about your relationship to this food where did the food you know i mean in terms of interconnectedness of great, great gratitude for food and that sometimes lives are taken so that I could live. So it's, it, it's some, it, the two things interact. The Dharma, which is in all phenomenal things, and then you have the person who's experiencing it. And when those two things come together in a certain kind of way, with a certain kind of insight, awareness, we have what we call Maybe a spiritual experience, yeah. um, We should be aware of our part in being able to be whatever whether we use the word awareness or present or 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 allowing sometimes the analogy is made that you cultivate your mind, your mind field. It's like cultivating soil. And then the Dharma as certain phenomenal things or events are seeds <laughs> that fall into this cultivated field. And if the field is all rocky and not, it depends on what kind of field it is, what kind of mind, what kind of causes and conditions, what kind of karmic background do you have, okay? That can make use so that the seeds will germinate and grow okay? and some people, because of influences causing conditions and they' you know they, they got interested in something they met certain people they they're raised a certain way, and this is all part of the soil of their mind, and they very deliberately, consciously, want to raise, they want to cultivate that. And when you have that kind of soil, all kind of seeds could, you maximize germination probability if you want to talk like this. But all kind of seeds are falling on, you know, our cultivated minefield, okay, and, all oh, there are so many uh, in different stages of germination. Some are, okay. We've had a lot of great plants, and maybe some of them are great big trees, okay. If you want to use, push this analogy in different ways, huh? we have a great big oak tree started, and I don't know. Who would have thought an acorn becomes a mighty oak? Uh It's kind of amazing when you think about it. Tiny seed, then you get a 50-pound watermelon. (laughs) I've had good luck with melons this year. In fact, I brought some to the gathering yesterday. And uh, being able to share the fruits of nature and what I've been able to work with nature to produce and then share. Um, it's not that that they can't go and buy, spend, you know, just a few little bit and get something in the store. Not that it's, of course, everything is organic for me. Uh, I don't put any pesticides or synthetic things, but the fact that sort of like my life is in there. Oh, this is homegrown. We say, oh, great! You know, it's not that you can't. It's not available, or that it's, or even when you have a homegrown, some of it doesn't look so good. It's got you know, spots on it or something. Okay, not like in the store where they got the method, uh, the whole process to have food look good so that people buy it, and and sometimes making it look good. Uh, It's not optimal for the true value of the food. Uh, So when you say homegrown, that means maybe it is better than store bought. But more than that, I think it's the sharing of 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 a person's life. Okay, that uh, that this came from how many days you had to go and water and. And you know, plant and take care of, and so forth. It's all in there, so it has a special quality. When someone says, "Well, this is a homegrown something," and you say, "Oh, okay," uh, it didn't cost anything that where you would pay for it in a store. Okay, buy the fertilizer, some kind of a maybe. I've been using a fish, you know, and seaweed. These are kind of a Organic fertilizers, and uh, so you had to. I had to use a vehicle to go to the store to buy these. And you know, there's a whole industry that that, that supplies these. And when you start thinking about the causes and conditions of when you look at a melon, well, <laughs> you you know that there's a lot there. Okay. The melon is sort of like the tip of an iceberg, Then they say, you know, nine-tenths is under the surface of the water, sort of like that. Huh? Uh, we know. We don't, might not know the details because it's so complex. Interaction, big mass of all the causes and conditions. But we know that's true. That's real. Okay? In order for this melon to be here, okay? All kind of things. It's such a mystery that we, we can hardly conceptualize it. So what do we do? We eat the melon and say, ah, <laughs> that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep
1: eating. <laughs> and you have a wonderful day. Thank you.